welcome to Agree to Disagree, where we discuss contentious issues in the world today. My name is Nico Kavonshek, and I'm your host. In this podcast, we take issues that affect Ireland, and we discuss them as people with opposing opinions. So, hello Evan, how are you? I'm, I'm Grand Nico, and uh, thanks for having me here today. Would you like to introduce yourself to the people that might not know you that well? Oh, uh, well, to those that don't know me, uh, I envy you. Uh, no, uh, only joking. Uh, no, my name is Evan Pereira. I'm a leaving certificate student here in County Clare. I'm a member of People Before Profit. And uh, I'm a former member of the Green Party, where I served as chairperson of the Clare Young Greens. Uh, I guess it's fairly fitting that I'm here talking about uh, the government and climate action, since I was uh, reared to be an environmentalist uh, for as long as I could remember. My dad would bring me out on little pickups around our housing estate and from there, you know, I kind of took up that mantle and then I only really kind of got involved in climate activism in 2019 and whatnot and, well, now I'm here. So essentially you're the stark political opposite of me in practically every way. You know, you're part of People for Profits yep. and, you know, I am now a member of Finnegale, so, you know, yeah, like I a, think we can disagree on a lot. It's, a, it's like a yin-yang, you know, uh, we're balancing yeah. each other out. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think it's important that we begin by agreeing on a few issues here. Both of us can agree that climate change is a real and pressing issue, right? Oh, absolutely. So, do you think that the government is doing enough for the environment? I, I, I don't think so. And I, I see that in a number of areas, from forestation to uh, peat and fossil fuels to transport and, of course, the issue of the carbon tax. Uh, I think that the government the government's line of, uh, sort of green liberalism isn't the type of radical action we need. It's in line with what many corporations see as their preferred uh, action by governments as it really won't take them on as the big big polluters so i don't think the government's doing enough but i will give credit to the program for government that it is the most environmentally conscious in the history of the state though that is the bar, bar is fairly low on that and uh yeah no but i i wouldn't believe that government's doing enough and i don't believe there is true aspiration there for radical climate action look i see what you're saying there i really do but look, you need to admit that the government has taken a lot of action so far in the past couple of years through successive uh, Fidegal and now the coalition governments. Now, look, recently the government introduced the Climate Action Bill. I don't know if you're well versed in it, but it does a number of things there. Firstly, it defies the term climate neutral economy. It defines it as a sustainable economy where greenhouse gases emissions are balanced and exceeded by the, or, or Jesus, screwed that up completely, <laughs> cut that out. Uh, a sustainable economy where greenhouse gases emissions are balanced or exceeded by the removal of greenhouse gases. Look, that's a perfectly all right definition. Would you agree with that? No, yeah, no, I would agree with that definition. Right, so by defining this into law, the state has placed an obligation on itself to pursue a transition to a climate-neutral economy by 2050. How is that not doing enough for the environment if the government has committed itself by law to transition to a fully climate-neutral economy? Like, Yeah, well, if we look at previous climate bills uh, from previous governments, if they've made commitments and they haven't lived up to them, and I'm looking... 
like I've looked at a number of areas now. You look at forestation, for example, where government policy for a number of years has been to increase our forest cover, which we have the lowest in Europe, from 11% to 17%. But forestry experts like Simon White, the chair of the Limerick Tipperary Woodland Growers, are saying that it's expected that forest cover will be reduced to 10%. And already we're failing on the likes of forestry. And, you know, it's all good and all for the government to say they'll do these things. But what we need is, you know, a government that will actually take action because words are meaningless without action. But a lot of the facts are saying that this government isn't doing enough and at the rate we're going, it won't be enough. But, Evan, this government isn't just saying fancy words. They have committed themselves under the law and they have committed every government that follows them, you know, to a climate neutral economy by 2050. That is a legal requirement that they have placed in themselves. I think that's a brave step forward. But look, forestry, you mentioned forestry there. And Finnegale introduced Project Ireland 2040 in 2018. Now, a part of it includes significant funding for forestry, for re uh, for reforestation across the entire country. Now, look, we need more forests. Oh, absolutely. And the government is the government is working on that. It's working, and we're getting there. Well, I, I don't... I've, I, well, I'm listening to the experts in forestry on this, and they have significant concerns about government trade. It's like I was saying, it's expected that we'll see a drop in forest cover to 10%. And also what we've seen like uh, with Project Woodland that was announced by our ministers, Chad McConnell-Logue and Pippa Hackett, that's not being, a lot of experts have said that's not enough. And as well, you have the Forestry Act that was bought in last year. That faced considerable opposition from environmental activists as it allows the minister to put restrictions on appeals to the Forestry Appeal Committee, including defining what sorry, what is an environmental NGO to limit appeals to that committee. And no, it's just things like that. It's not looking good for our forests. You know, I'm down here in Kildare. If you look at the likes of Donaghy Woods, you know, you go over and you're walking through these beautiful, majestic woods. As you get in further, you see tons of trees cut down. And unfortunately, trees aren't being planted back. You know, I'm all for like, you know, we need to build up our domestic timber industry. It is at risk at the moment where we're importing timber despite the fact that we should have a booming domestic timber industry and it's not gaining the support it needs and you know but i have a lot of concerns in that for economic reasons for tourist reasons and of course environmental reasons no look i completely understand what you're saying there and look i have lobbied personally quite a bit on the forestry acts and all that i have written to different ministers regarding that about the state of our current uh, forestry industry and it is dreadful but, you know, these trees aren't being cut down. You know, we're getting more trees every single year being planted and we're not cutting them down due to excessive red tape. That's a whole different conversation there. But, look, reforestation is happening. The government has committed to it. And, you know, unfortunately, we do need to balance our climate obligations and our industry obligations, such as with the forestry industry, with our obligations to the climate. Now, which one is more important, our economy or the climate? I can't answer that. But I think that it's important that we remember that every step we take to address climate action has real and lasting consequences on ordinary people right across the country.
Oh, no, I, you know what I mean? I, I absolutely agree there. My whole view on climate action is through the lens of a just transition and ensuring that ordinary people, rural people, working class people aren't screwed over on climate action because if we look at a lot of climate action, you know, you see it that a lot of people who have a lot more time to be concerned about the environment are people that are a lot more well off who are in urban areas. And we need to ensure that climate action, you know, works for ordinary people, for rural people. Do you agree with me there? Yeah, I completely agree. Look, I think it's important that, you know, farmers are supported, especially. Because, look, the reality is that Ireland's carbon emissions are very, very different from most other European nations. Look, our, our greenhouse emissions are mostly from the agriculture sector, like largely through methane associated with our beef herds. It makes up 32% of our emissions. Mm from the agriculture sector in Ireland compared to an 11% average across the rest of Europe. Yeah. That's massive. So we can't really depend on the European model. So th- this is why the government, the Fine Gael government in 2018, has committed itself to providing improvements in farming practices in line with the recommendations from the Department of Agriculture in order to lower our emissions from the agriculture sector without harming our farmers oh yeah no i i agree there and uh, if we look at the uh do you remember back in 2017 there was a citizens assembly regarding climate action they made their 13 yep, recommendations yep. their highest recommendations apart from the retrofitting of homes and buildings and the community ownership of rural and renewable energy projects was the expansion of forestry and organic farming and working with small farmers there. so i think it's absolutely pivotal that we work with especially small farmers who are you know it's hard for them to make means uh meat and all sorry to make ends meet it it is imperative that we work with them and i believe there is you know a role that organic farming and forestry can play in reducing agricultural emissions uh would you agree with me there yeah uh, would you say that the government is uh doing enough for the farmers in this respect i I think that the government, to an extent, is out of touch with farmers. And, you know, you see that with the Green Party, where a lot of people in rural Ireland, you know, look at the Green Party and, you know, kind of like, oh, they, they aren't representing me, they aren't, you know, they, they are very urban-centred. And I, I would agree with that sentiment. I'd be in that sort of middle ground where I'm in an urban area, but in South Kildare, so I kind of see, you know, both worlds in a way. And, uh, you know, a lot of farmers and all love you know, small farmers and rural people, you know, don't feel represented in how the government are acting on climate change. And uh, one area we'd see that is with the carbon tax. Now, I'm a fierce opponent of the current carbon tax regime. Look, according to so like Social Justice Ireland, a study they did found that 400 people, sorry, 400,000 people are currently experiencing fuel deprivation. And at the same time, the government wants a 100-year-old carbon tax by 2030 that that will hurt rural and working class people those will that carbon tax will hurt the ordinary people of this country and p- people like dr brian o'boyle an economist uh, anyway galway agrees with me on this uh that so, carbon tax is overall negative to ordinary people so evan you want to tackle you know climate change and all now but you don't want a carbon tax I like i don't understand your point here i i don't want the current carbon tax regime. I believe in a carbon tax that it, a corporate carbon tax on the profit to corporations based on 
be emissions that they emit. You look at worldwide carbon emissions, 71% of carbon emissions come from just 100%, sorry, just come from 100 corporations worldwide. Like, it's, there's no point targeting ordinary people with such a strong tax when corporations aren't being challenged. Like, look, in no, places like Norway and British Columbia, which are held up as, you know, beacons of where the carbon taxes worked. In Norway, in just a 10-year period, it was found that the carbon tax only saw a 2.3% reduction, reduction in carbon emissions. And in British Columbia, their carbon tax roughly only saw about a 2% reduction in carbon emissions. And that reduction in carbon emissions was largely down to economic downturn at the time. Corporations like ExxonMobil, who I would have fierce moral objections with based on their activities, in a leaked report it found that carbon taxes would have to be increased by roughly 300%, with the price of petrol being put up to about €4.60 a litre in order for it to be effective, with the, with the carbon tax per capita costing people, if agricultural emissions are tackled, about €1,300 each. So, right. I so don't see how. Let me just get this straight. Let me just get this straight here. So, you want to increase the carbon tax on companies, right? Like ExxonMobil, for example. So, using ExxonMobil as an example here, if you increase the carbon tax on them, they lose out on a significant source of revenue. You know, they, they get increased costs and all that crap. Now, what are they going to do to make up for it? They're going to. Put their prices I, up. I, I, you know who's going to get hurt. I don't agree. I don't agree with that. There, ordinary people. I, I don't. Agree ordinary people will get hurt. And I don't agree with that idea that putting up any taxes would result in consumer prices going up. There was a study by the Oregon Consumer League there in the United States in twenty sixteen where they looked at state corporation taxes and all across, you know, the United States and compared it to consumer prices and all. And their study found that. Corporation tax increases don't cause an increase on consumer prices and vice versa. They didn't find that lower corporation taxes would necessarily see lower consumer prices. No, but we're not talking about corporation taxes. We're talking about carbon taxes here. No, but this would be, this would be in the same way a carbon... I don't see the difference in this case. It's still a tax on a corporation. Right, but... Where would that tax be applied? Would you apply it at the point of sale? Would you apply it on their revenue? Would you apply it on their net profit, growth profit? Well, Where well would their you net apply profit it? would be after taxes and after expenses. So it would be on their gross profit, just as other taxes are charged. Right. Look... Uh, it's a very regressive tax, a carbon tax. And, and, and you know, you're from rural Ireland. It will be hurting people like your neighbours, like your community and all. Because the thing with things like petrol and diesel, is it's inelastic demand. People will buy it regardless of its cost. And that will put that will plunge people further into energy poverty and paying more for, for petrol and for diesel. Because You're spot on. Therefore, charging companies that produce that diesel is ridiculous. They're going to pass that cost along to the consumer. You know, your studies from the US can say one thing. But I think everybody understands how companies work. And if they, you know, have an increased expense on one end, they'll just put their prices up. It's as simple as that. And, you know, that oh, is I, going I, to I lead to severe poverty. Severe that, poverty. I disagree with that assertion there. I, I disagree with that there. And I think this even makes the argument for how can we charge 
such a high co- carbon tax on individuals up to what was it, 100 euro by 2030 according to the program for government without adequately providing public transport and alternatives to diesel and petrol like look like they are in ulster and you guys are quite frankly screwed over on the likes of rail and there's nothing in the program for government making specific uh you know making specific points in the program sorry no it's just uh in the program for government there's nothing about expanding or restoring old rail lines in Ulster, nor for the three counties in the Republic, or working with the Department of Infrastructure and the Executive for greater rail connections in the North, working on a cross-border basis. There's nothing about that for Ulster. But you see, a lot of counties and a lot of rural areas are left behind on public transport. Like I've talked to people down here in a fire, which we would be you know, sort of at that end of the commuter belt. The amount of people I've talked to are like, Oh yeah, no, I'd love, I'd love to use the train to come up to Dublin. It's just a cost and all. Like it's a cost of public transport for a lot of people as well, and then for a lot of people, of course, it's the lack of public transport. So until we, you know, offer these uh, alternatives to people so that they don't have to buy more petrol and diesel, I don't see how we can ethically tax them to, you know, tax them to that extent. I see what you're saying with the public transport there, and look, the lack of rail service here in Monaghan is a significant bottleneck on the development of the region, there's no doubt about that, I mean, anybody in the street here will tell you that, you know, I would love a train up to Dublin, but, you know, the reality is we don't have one, and we won't have one for the foreseeable future, but, you know, under Project Ireland 2040, which Fine Gael introduced in 2018, you know, there has been commitments made to significant uh, infrastructure spending. And this infrastructure spending comes in the likes of better roads, which reduces emissions coming from cars and the like. Mm. Uh, you know, better roads, better rail services across the country, at least in places that already do have rail service. Yeah. Uh, you know, these commitments are being made and slowly but surely the government is getting things done. You know, the government has committed itself to reducing carbon emissions by 7% yearly under the Climate Action Bill, I believe. Do you not think that's enough? 7% yearly. 7% yearly, so roughly in... So I'm just doing a bit of maths there, but... Wait, 25... Oh no, I'm skeptical still. I'm I'm personally skeptical still because we've seen the we've seen previous climate bills and they haven't followed through on those commitments. And it's not expected. They weren't legally binding. This one is. I oh, know you know no, you do make a good point there. You do make a good point, but I don't believe I don't believe that the idea of the likes of green liberalism and all can truly take on the you know world climate crisis because corporations until they're challenged in my opinion it's not it won't be enough like look exxon mobiles i know i keep referring back right. to exxon, so what I can the I, government do i know I what can they actually do to, i know i keep referring back to exxon mobile but in 2014 they reassured best shareholders that quote world climate policies are highly unlikely to stop it from producing and selling fossil fuels in the near future I don't believe that world response is enough at the moment. And I don't believe that Ireland can, you know, hold itself up to be a beacon until it does truly take on corporations. Because Those corporations are providing jobs. We, like, the government you know, is paying a great role in these jobs. And green jobs, in, in the likes of providing green jobs and green jobs training and all in 
you know, I, I don't know if you create the phrase, but a Green New Deal. You know, we don't the, have the to European simply- Green New Deal or the American Green New Deal. I I know what you mean there, but look, the government is doing more than enough. Look, we have the government funding renewable sources of energy here, you know, solar panels, wind farms and all that crack. You've got the government actively encouraging green investments. Like, you keep using these buzzwords about green liberalism and how we should take on the corporations. The idea of leaving it to market forces. But, like, you even said there about renewable energy today. As of of today, uh, the current uh, fuel makeup for our energy provision is about... 57% 57% gas, 6% coal, only about 15% renewables, 14% of it being imported, and the other 5% being well, others, you know, the likes of peat and whatnot. But, you know, we're still dependent on under this, under what we have at the moment. But, on yeah, gas. but we're not going to be dependent for much longer. Look, the reality is market forces have decided that renewables is the way to go. It's the fastest growing investment area. It's the renewable energy is the cheapest source of energy as of earlier this year. And that's because of market forces. You know, that's because the market has decided, look, this is the cheapest source of energy we can get. Let's invest in it. And it gets cheaper through economies of scale. No, I, I get what you're saying there, but my sort of problem is that the world is in a sort of in a trance of, you know, believing that market forces are the only way to go. But they are. Um, no, they, they just aren't, though, being content with the current system. The current system of capitalism has led to this climate crisis. It, 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 capitalism is what's going to get us out of this mess. Oh, look. What, like, what, like with the yeah. likes of electric vehicles? Like, because that's not. Yeah, yeah. Through solar panels, through wind why farms. Can, why can't the All... state be doing that? Why can't the state be doing that? Because the state is notoriously inefficient and there is no incentive for the state to innovate. There's private companies out there right now that are doing fantastic work right across this country, innovating. That is exactly what we need in the state. We need people who innovate. The government is inherently opposed to innovation. This is why we should leave it to the market. Look, The market the government- has led us. To this climate disaster and leaving you keep the- saying that but you're not providing any examples no but in allowing like no but in relying on market forces in allowing for private corporations to ravage our seas and our lands in the likes of fracking and gas extraction which mind you the government has said they are banning but current contracts are still going to be in place well into the 2030s which leaves me skeptical of how we can meet our climate targets while still allowing for current uh, gas and fuel extraction contracts remain in place. Remember, Eamon Ryan's announcement last month came with positive acclaim from the Irish Offshore Operators Association. If they are praising an environmental position by the government, I don't think you're in a good place. But, uh, like, you see with the likes of Shannon LNG, where, what was it? That won't be, sorry, Shannon LNG, it's a lie from people who say, oh, Shannon LNG won't be happening. Just this week, New Fortress Energy, that US company there, has put a new planning permission for Shannon LNG. And now the government have been saying, oh, yeah, it won't be happening. But remember, back during the program for government debacle last year, Bradka said to Fianna Gael members that Shannon LNG 
is not over. It will just be removed from the list of public priority, meaning the private market can still go ahead with it. I mean, as long as they fund it, Shannon LG can go ahead. Right. The private market there is providing jobs. And without those jobs, the government wouldn't have a source of revenue to subsidise green energy at the moment. And that's just a reality. You know, it's all well and good saying, look, let's leave the state to do it and all that crack. But the state has an obligation to leave the market to do it as the market knows best. You know, you can't leave everything in the charge of the government. If the market knew best for what... If the market knew best for what would be the best for the environment, they wouldn't go through with Shannon LNG because that is not good for our environment. To bring in fracked gas, if that is not good for our environment. So I don't You're believe bringing cheap sources of energy, which reduces energy poverty in the country, whilst also providing a source of revenue to support green investments. Now, look, you need to balance. It's all about balance. And the government is balancing its obligations to the people and to the environment. Nico, I think this is where we differ on a more philosophical scale, where uh, you would be a proponent of market forces and capitalism, and uh, but I clearly aren't. But uh, how do I put it? It's I, I see that you're justifying the ends by the means. I wouldn't agree with that. You know, I think that the government has a greater role to play in providing. But like, I, I don't believe that we should be allowing for shining LNG simply in the name of jobs when we can do more to get the revenue instead of allowing fracked gas to come into Ireland. I don't... Well, so where would you get the gas from in the short term? In the short term? Like no, I, tomorrow. I, let's say, let's say, right, we're not allowing that project. Where are you going to get gas from Tomorrow. Well, as we start phasing out, like you have to like to call up gas. Fields. No, tomorrow, tomorrow. Where are you going to get it from tomorrow? Well, I'm hardly saying. Oh, yeah, as of tomorrow, no. We just need to end all gas exploration. Well, you're telling me that we can't have this plant the LLG terminal here. I don't believe. So, do you believe? Do you believe that we can really meet our climate targets while allowing for fat gas to come into Ireland while allowing for current? Sorry for while allowing for those contracts to remain in place. Mind you, last year, we are indebted by about, by about 300 million to the EU in compulsory carbon tax, sorry, carbon credit purchases and in fines for not meeting our targets. We could be putting that money that we'd be losing due to inaction on climate, that we'd be losing to the EU in fines for not meeting our targets and put that into renewable energy and put that in public transport and put that into the retrofitting of homes and businesses those are the top recommendations from the likes of the Citizens' Assembly on climate and by experts. I don't... Evan, it's all well and good saying, look, we should meet our obligation tomorrow and all that crack. But we, we can't. You can't wake up one day and decide that we're going to stop all carbon emissions. I, I never, said, I never said that. By 20%. Oh, I acknowledge that. But, you know, that's the general gist of it. But you can't just wake up one day and and decide to radically change our economy in a day and leave it to the government. Like, look... No, even through the likes the, of public, par- uh, public-private partnerships can be used, but leaving it... Because they've gone down so well. Look, we have a history in the country here of using public-private partnerships, and they are notoriously unreliable. Like, the National Children's Hospital is quite a disappointment, admittedly. 
and that was as a result of a public private partnership. And well, I, I don't believe the government when that happened. No, I, uh, I, look, I admit that was a mistake, and I don't think anyone can say otherwise. But public private partnerships are notoriously unreliable. Like that's just a reality. Oh no! So do you just believe that any government involvement is that that's the negative? There. Uh, no, no. You know, I I support green subsidies. I support government programs to encourage green investment. I just don't think that the government should essentially nationalize the economy in order to cut carbon emissions. That's just impossible, illegal, and just frankly wrong. Like, tell me exactly what you would do to cut carbon emissions tomorrow. Tomorrow? Well, no, it's it's not a short-term thing. It is a long-term project to cut our carbon emissions I just don't believe that the current idea behind it, that the current world response and the fact that corporations are in agreement with me on this is fairly indicative. I don't believe that that is the current way to go. I believe that we do need a more radical approach. Just believe that really we could be doing better. But unfortunately, look, even when it comes to supporting people in what should be a just transition, you know, we aren't doing enough there with the likes of Pete. You know, we see with Board Namona, which... I agree, in the long term, we do need to, you know, phase out peat cutting and peat buckets. But the way the government are doing it, they've only put in about 31 million. For what you but how more radical can we get? You know, you keep telling me that we need to be more radical. 7% yearly, that is fairly radical when you consider our economy is quite the, substantial. The programme for government, though, puts a lot of these, you know, aims and aspirations on a 10-year scale that is really kicking it down the can, sorry, kicking the can down the road uh, to the next government. But it's not. The Climate Action Bill, which is legislation that was signed into law in January, I believe, has legally committed this government and every subsequent government to meeting the climate obligations that are set out in that legislation, which includes a 7% yearly decrease in carbon emissions. I'll say it once and I'll say it again. I'll believe it when I see it. I don't... I, I'll i just say it here. I'll believe it when I see it. The fact that it took a global pandemic for us to see a mass reduction in our carbon emissions was concerning. But uh, that's not... Of course not. That is, of course, not sustainable in the long term. But uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll be interested to see in the coming next couple of years to see if we've met that 7% a year reduction target. But, uh, I... You've got the Green Party in government. You've seen significant uh, action being taken on the climate from this government, which Fine Gael is a part of. You've seen it from the past government, the uh, 2015 to 2020 government. You've seen it from every government in the then past. Why is it that we're still facing? Why is it that we're still facing fines from the European Union for not meeting our climate targets? Why is every that... single EU member state is facing fines. Every single member says that doesn't make it right. Then that doesn't make it right. Like, look, you talk about oh, we're doing all these things like mass investment and all in transport, for example. I know Eamon Ryan announced his two hundred forty million for walking and cycling infrastructure. But it's all well and good to put funding into things, but it's a matter of is the funding being used properly. And in regards to things like walking and cycling, which I think is extremely important, the funding isn't being allocated properly. It's being funded to projects that are following old design standards. While you look at the likes of the United Kingdom. 
where design guidance has been improved before funding is even allocated for projects and funding is based on higher standards there. Things like the Dutch style of designs for cycling and walking, which have you ever been to the Netherlands? Because you've been- I have, and I've seen the cycling infrastructure in place there. Yeah. But look, the reality oh, is... Just finish this. Yeah, go on. The likes of cycling roundabouts, projected junctions, fair segregated lanes and all, the National Transport Authority has consistently resisted those. We should be... Now, look, you know me on when it comes to Europe, I would be a bit of a softer skeptic, but there is a lot we can take from Europe. And I think when it comes to things like public transport, and in particular cycling sorry, cycling and walking, we have a lot to take from Europe, a lot to look at them and be like, we should try emulate this here. We are not Europe. We cannot emulate Europe. You know, the reality is, Paddy from down the road here isn't going to cycle to the pub across five miles of we country lanes. That's just not happening. You know, we need to acknowledge the reality that we are a unique case here. We have a very specific set of needs, and I think the government is doing enough to meet those needs. Look, I I don't think for a lot of people those, I I don't believe that for a lot of people, a lot of ordinary people, those needs are being met, like I laid out there previously, regarding the carbon tax policy. See with the likes of the board of minor workers who... You know, the government said, said, oh, yeah, we, well, the previous government as well, said, oh, we don't want job losses when we, you know, change all the board and owners' remit. But, you know, we don't know for sure, but also their families, their communities and all. Spain, for example, they put 250 million into their coal mining communities as they were fight, as they've been uh, phasing out coal mining. Well, we've put in about 31 million. And you look, was it 5% of households in the country use peat to heat their homes? But here, well, I'm not in the Midlands, but the Midlands would be a quick walkover for me. About 20% of households use peat. So what we need is a lot more investment in supporting those ordinary people, especially in the Midlands, who rely on peat, whose families, you know, work and board them owner, so that people can remain afloat, so we, we can keep more people out of fuel poverty. I think... Well, look, the government is taking steps to get people out of fuel poverty. You've got the fuel allowance scheme, which Both does people important... still be negatively affected by the carbon tax. Look, everyone's going to be negatively impacted by the carbon tax, regardless of where you tax. The carbon tax role is to discourage people from uh, buying, it, you know, fossil it, fuels it and the like, such as coal. It won't and... discourage people, though. It... It will. No, coal it will. and other fo- coal, petrol, diesel has inelastic demand. People will buy it regardless of the cost. In the short term, you are correct. But look, it's talking about the long term here that's important. When you look at a bag of coal, for example, you know, two euro of that bag of coal, for example, can be made up of carbon taxes alone. Now, that adds up over a year, over two years. The household needs to come together and look at their bills and say, look, I think it'll be cheaper if we were to install solar panels. It will provide households with significant energy savings in the long term by discouraging fossil fuels in the short term. It's not a perfect solution. It's not ideal. 
and we need to take steps to mitigate the effects, especially for poor people. I, I think what you laid out there, the fact that all families will have to make hard decisions like that, that's for me and you... These aren't hard decisions. No, they, they are, though, for ordinary... Like, have you met families who are in fuel poverty? I these, have. These are I've hard decisions plenty. for people. And to to just say, oh, yeah, but you should just get together and discuss whether or not you should have coal for your heating. It, you're placing a huge emphasis personal responsibility on these families when the whole idea of, oh, climate action is just personal responsibility isn't right. You see, Evan... the vast majority of carbon emissions worldwide come from corporations and in Ireland, a lot of it from the likes of big agribusiness and all and from transport. It's you can't just simply depend on, oh, sure, the individuals just have to make the choice. That's the same type of mantra pushed by the likes of the Green Party and all as opposed <laughs> Evan, Look, the, the reality is if an individual isn't willing to make the commitment uh, to reduce your carbon footprint, why should the government act like a nanny to them and do it for them? Do, do, Every do, single do, person do. on this earth has a commitment. Oh, I agree. But have you seen? I actually have a question. Have you actually delved into the history of where the idea of an individual carbon footprint comes from? I can't say I have no. The idea of an individual carbon footprint was created by corporations like Chevron, Exxon, these big polluter corporations to offset their responsibility to the individual. So that people are like, oh no, but the individuals have to do this, that and that. I don't mind those corporations. <laughs> but individuals do have to do those things. That That's the reality. Look, nobody is forcing you to buy a bag of coal. You make an active decision to buy a bag of coal. Nobody's forcing you to buy a diesel car. You know, the government is encouraging electric cars. The government is encouraging you know people to buy solar panels. vehicles are with... I, I unfortunately yeah. I am, and especially in rural areas, there's not enough infrastructure. Exactly. But this is exactly so, why the government has taken steps to address these issues. The government has uh, put forward proposals for more electric charging points in rural areas. It has done all that. The government is taking steps to make these choices easier for people. No, but in the short term, the things you talk about saying, oh, but you don't have to buy a bag of coal. If your choice is between a bag and coal, a bag of coal and your house being cold, I think you know what choice people are going to make. And I think it is a very broad brush to just say, oh, don't buy the coal or don't buy the peat or whatnot. Just buy your solar panels. But in the short term, that is an expensive investment for people. Yeah, it is. It is. And That's the why the government is taking steps to provide subsidies and grants. Uh, local councils are providing grants for solar panels and the like. And look, I acknowledge that families right across this country are struggling, especially now with the pandemic, and that's undeniable. This is why the government has taken steps to provide these these fuel allowances and the like. Look, as I've said, it's not perfect. And the carbon tax isn't a perfect solution. But, you know, each and every single one of us has to take active measures in order to reduce our personal carbon footprint. Now, I know you don't agree with that. No, no it's not that I don't agree, because I, I believe that we as humans have a commitment to this planet, because we, I, 
we as humans are living on this planet not for ourselves but in a cooperative relationship with nature and we don't we don't inherit this planet really we are only renting it for our children and our grandchildren and for future generations to be able to live on it so that we do we do have a commitment to it but to just say oh leave it to the individual instead of the systematic change that needs to be made where we need to ask ourselves well what's led us to this climate crisis what's led us to it what's led us to it is natural human development like look the reality is and, as and what develop, economic system is part of that natural well human development right do you know who the biggest polluter in the 20th century and early 21st century was do tell the People's Republic of China, which is uh, the, communistic. They, they are not a communist. I have two points to make on that now. First off, they are not communist. They are communist in name only. They are state capitalist. Do you look at China? They love they capitalism. It is and they are all. They call the, themselves the Red Army and all that crap. You, you can call look, yeah, that the, sounds communist. The, the that looks communist. It smells communist. The, the Democratic. The Democratic People's Republic of Congo calls itself democratic. I don't think it is. You can call yourself whatever you want, but it doesn't make it the case. And as well with China, the reason they saw huge amount of carbon emissions was because they were going through their industrial revolution. They were going through their industrial revolution. Like with the likes of China and with the Soviet Union, they were going through their industrial revolution. So, so regardless of the system, you admit that you know, humans naturally emit carbon. Well, yes, but it's the main, it's the actions you it's take. It's, it's, the, it's the actions you take then to balance that and to move to carbon neutrality. What you do then to mitigate Which carbon. is what our government is doing in our capitalistic system. It's encouraging subsidies for green investments and the like. It is providing opportunities for people to make an active decision to go green. Well, I, I think op- more opportunities should be through green jobs, green apprenticeships, investment in public job schemes, and having the act the state play a more active role. And of course, people playing a more active role with better local democracy in regards to the environment and ensuring that people are listened to. Like There is a lot more we can be doing, in my opinion. I don't doubt the sincerity of the government that would be wrong of me to doubt their sincerity in this case but i don't believe that we are doing enough but i believe that we can be but that isn't to say that a lot of things the government are doing is bad if you get what i mean it's i'm, I'm not yeah. i'm not just you know you know all negative about this where it's like oh it's all yeah, bad I, I guess everything they've done is bad because i will admit like i like i said before this program for government has been the most environmentally conscious one it's just that, you know, the bar is really low on that title. But, uh... Yeah. Uh, look, I think this is a good point to agree, to disagree. Um, it's important that we promote political dialogue between people with historically opposing opinions, you know, such as us to here. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you yeah. coming to talk to me here. I know. Yeah. Thanks, Nico. No, it's an interesting discussion because uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't like the fact that climate action has become so politicized in a way because it is about the survival of the human race it and not just the human race sorry but our whole planet and our nature and our biodiversity that we do cooperate with every day as we live so you know i think 
and what you did raise for about individual action. Of course, there is individual action we can be taking. I would just be of the opinion that the state needs to play a greater role, and I know you would be in disagreement with that, but like you said, agree to disagree. All right. Well, thank you once again. I'll speak to you soon.